Hi, whenever you're listening to me, I hope you're staying safe and doing well. I'm Hari Arakali and this is today's Tech Briefing. In this program, AR1 processor or R1 processor we developed uh, is the best-in-class uh, edge AI silicon that comes with a full, fully enabled software stack uh, to ensure that customers can take their AI models and accelerate them on, on, the, on the processor. That's after these headlines. Facebook's founder, CEO Mark Zuckerberg, was roundly criticized by U.S. lawmakers yesterday at a hearing for employee-turned-whistleblower Francis Haugen, who gathered evidence from the company's own research on how the social networking giant was harming young people. Notably, U.S. Senator Richard Blumenthal said that the damage to self-interest and self-worth inflicted by Facebook today will haunt a generation. Big tech now faces the big tobacco jaw-dropping moment of truth, the senator said, according to multiple reports on the hearing. Our children are the ones who are victims. Teens today looking in the mirror feel doubt and insecurity. Mark Zuckerberg ought to be looking at himself in the mirror, the senator added. Earlier, Hogan, who helped the Wall Street Journal report a series of investigative stories into Facebook, said, I'm here today because I believe Facebook's products harm children, stoke division, and weaken our democracy. There is no one currently holding Mark to account. The buck stops with Mark, Hogan added. While on the subject of big tech, Microsoft's Windows 11 is now generally available as a free upgrade for eligible devices, the company said in a blog post yesterday. Among the computer makers whose PCs and laptops will have Windows 11 are Acer, AMD, Asus, Dell, HP, Lenovo, Samsung, and Microsoft's own Surface computers. Intel and Qualcomm are among the chip makers supporting Windows 11. Licious, a fresh meat and seafood startup in India, has raised $52 million in its Series G round, led by IIFL's late-stage tech fund and Avendus Economic Times reports. This latest round values the company at $1.05 billion, making it the 29th Indian startup unicorn of 2021 and the first homegrown direct-to-consumer company to achieve the feat according to ET. Lead Squared, a Bangalore startup that makes cloud software for sales support, has raised an undisclosed amount from the International Finance Corporation as part of its ongoing Series B funding round. The company will use the money to expand its US operations and product development. Lead Squared had raised $32 million from private equity investor Gaja Capital in December. 100MS, a startup that helps businesses to add video conferencing to their apps, has raised $4.5 million in seed funding from Axel and Strive.vc. 100MS was founded by former Disney Hotstar employees Shitij Gupta, Aniket Behra and Sarvesh Dwivedi. The funds raised will be used for adding engineers and in product development, the company said in a press release. Even though India lost out on semiconductor foundries and manufacturing, the country has a thriving talent base of engineers writing software for advanced semiconductor chips. As a result, an increasing number of Silicon Valley semiconductor startups are looking to either set up or expand their software operations in Hyderabad or Bangalore. I spoke to Ravi Annavajala, CEO of Deep Vision, one such company, based in Los Altos, with much of its software development out of Hyderabad. Deep Vision has just raised more money and is looking to expand its Indian center. Here's more from our conversation. 
Uh, Ravi, welcome to this podcast. Uh, thank you so much for making time for this. And uh, for uh, and just to get us started, uh, for people who may not be familiar with your work, uh, maybe you could start by just giving us a brief snapshot of uh, the journey that brought you to the uh, beginnings of uh, Deep Vision, your company, uh, and then we can go from there. Absolutely. First of all, uh, Hari, thank you for having me, and uh, it's a pleasure to be on this podcast. Uh, so. Uh, I've been in the semiconductor industry and tech industry for almost uh, three decades. I started my career at Intel in the early 90s and uh, have been semiconductors for, for the most part. So uh, coming to this journey, prior to uh, my uh, time at Intel designing chips, I was uh, dabbling in neural networks. In fact, uh, spent quite a bit of time in the early 90s in my master's degree working on uh, neural networks and AI. And as many people know, many, many individuals in this industry know, AI went into a, what's called now called an AI winter. Um, and uh, this uh, interest in AI and the current uh, ramp in AI models uh, got reignited some, sometime around 2012 with the advent of AlexNet. And uh, as the field was taking off, uh, the need for um, accelerating these AI models, running them better on silicon, uh, you know, sort of came about. Much like uh, any other workload, right? Uh, for example, GPUs is a uh, classic example. Uh, uh, CPUs were around for a long time, and the need for uh, domain-specific architecture where, where you want to uh, uh, accelerate graphics, accelerate gaming applications or rendering came what and GPUs came about to accelerate that work workload. Not that the CPUs cannot do it, but GPUs came, out, uh, came about uh, to help uh, with uh, accelerating graphics workloads. Similarly, as the AI workload started to evolve, uh, the need for um, silicon that could ac accelerate and run AI well, uh, that need came about. So anyway, um, I uh, was going through my career. I was at Intel, I was at SanDisk, um, and uh, in 2016, I then just left SanDisk after Western Digital acquired SanDisk. I was um, then looking to uh, some opportunities and a friend of mine connected me with the two founders of Deep Vision who were, who were gen just then completed a PhD at Stanford. And uh, they had come up with a brand new architecture to accelerate uh, deep learning or AI. And uh, that sort of intrigued me primarily because uh, like I mentioned, AI was taking off and the need for um, silicon that could accelerate AI was a necessity at that time. Uh, I, I could see that and the founders could see that this could become a big uh, market over time. So all this uh, sort of culminated in me joining them and uh, you know, uh, sort of looking at guiding the founders to commercialize their research work uh, at Stanford. So that's sort of the beginnings of this journey. And here we are, uh, we have raised our Series B and uh, uh, are ramping our product and volume. Mm. When you uh, joined Deep Vision, what was the uh, initial product that you were working on? Uh, and maybe you can also uh, talk about uh, what the flagship product is today. Yes, so when I joined Deep Vision, it was actually uh, more of a technology play. The uh, two gentlemen who had uh, come out of uh, Stanford uh, had developed their silicon architecture. 
it was a technology sort of looking for a uh, place, looking for a house um, and looking to become a product. And what I brought with me was years of experience uh, translating technology into products that could become uh, commercially viable products. And I spent time with them understanding the landscape and the advantages of uh, the technology that they built and concluded that the technology uh, was most suitable for edge AI acceleration. Uh, edge meaning nothing, uh, edge here as, as defined by something that's not cloud, uh, where uh, one can go off and run uh, uh, compute uh, on all kinds of endpoints, let's say sensors or cameras, and even uh, gateway devices like uh, network video recorder boxes and, and such, or even edge servers. So we sort of figured that, hey, this technology had a um, considerable advantage in these sort of applications. And then we started working on uh, raising capital because uh, unless you have a lot of capital, you cannot build a, a silicon uh, chip. And uh, so we went about uh, getting Lighthouse customers, partnerships, and raising capital to uh, build the team and subsequently the chip. Mm. Uh, so today, uh, what is your uh, flagship product? Uh, on your website, you have uh, uh, the ARA1 Edge AI processor. Uh, maybe you can tell us about this processor and uh, what its main features are and where its applications might lie. Sure. So the AI, uh, ARA1 processor or ARA1 processor we developed uh, is the best-in-class uh, Edge AI silicon that comes with a full, fully enabled software stack uh, to ensure that customers can take their AI models and accelerate them on, on, the, on the processor. And this processor, uh, the primary advantage is one of latency, right? So the way it works, uh, if I can simplify this, is that customers have a workload and the workload could be a set of uh, video data and the video data can be presented and you want to infer or get analytics out of the video data. And a classic example could be a security camera. Today, if you think about it, there are billions of security cameras that are installed all over the world. The video is streamed from the security camera. It goes to an NVR or a video recorder box, network video recorder box. And quite often, nobody watches this video. Only if there's an incident, people then uh, go off and look at the recorded video feed and analyze it. So uh, this is a very inefficient process. Where our silicon comes into play is that it can sit inside the camera and as the video feed starts to come in, uh, various kinds of AI models can be run on our chip in real time. For example, it can recognize faces, it can de detect people, it can detect uh, objects, uh, it can detect behaviors. Uh, so any such application can be run on our processor. Now, as the applications get more complex, the more compute is needed in the camera. And what we then provide is real-time analytics data uh, so that every video frame that's coming in uh, is tagged with the, with the right kind of uh, analytics. Uh, let's say somebody leaves a suitcase behind in an airport unattended. You can detect that after a while and say, hey, there's a suitcase uh, sitting here for half hour, nobody has touched it, and uh, sort of uh, raise the proper alert uh, to the proper authorities. Or let's say somebody is going into a zone that they are not uh, supposed to go into an uh, restriction, restricted access zone. You can flag that as well. 
So all this can happen real time because the chip can sit in the camera and it can analyze the video uh, that's coming in live. And the other piece uh, that is also uh, maybe obvious, and I'll state this anyway, is that this video feed that's coming in uh, from, from the camera, once it's analyzed, it can be tagged. So it can tag people, tag, tag objects. And as it goes to recording, it, the video feed has the tags built in. So you can search for objects, people, behaviors um, uh, after the recording is complete and figure out uh, what has happened at any particular point in time. So I hope that gives you a flavor. Now the applications are numerous. Uh, it can be in retail stores, it can be in cars uh, as, they be, uh, as cars become autonomous. Uh, uh, it can be in robotic applications of all kinds. And we are seeing a pull for our product in all these categories. Hmm. Uh, what are the uh, uh, sort of big trends in recent times uh, in the way chips uh, themselves are being designed uh, with AI in mind? So the big trends, um, Hari, is that big, one of the biggest trends is that the need for AI compute has become enormous. And I'll explain why. For example, if you go back to the video camera uh, application, uh, security camera application, where you're analyzing the video feeds, the what is happening with the camera itself, for example, is that the cameras uh, are getting uh, better and better at resolution. They're going from uh, 1080p high definition to 4K high definition to 8K, 8K high definition and even beyond that. And the reason why they're doing that is that you can detect uh, objects at a distance, you can detect people at a distance, there's granularity is even better with better resolution. The second trend that's uh, um, occurring is that the frame rate is improving as well. You're going from 15 to 30 to 60 frames per second. And then the third trend that is also evolving is that the deep learning models themselves are getting incredibly complex. Every four months, three or four months, the model size is doubling. So the uh, video feed, in essence, that's coming out of the camera is uh, humongous. Uh, the data is humongous. And uh, in order to analyze it, and since the models are also becoming big, the need for AI compute uh, and specifically built AI processors, purpose-built AI processors, that, that uh, AI compute need is also increasing very rapidly. And we are seeing this because we built our first generation processor and uh, we are just about shipping. We are shipping in volume and customers are asking for almost five times the performance of our Gen 1 processor on the Gen 2 uh, that we are going to be that we are in the process of developing and we'll be shipping next year. So that's one trend on the performance side. Of course, on the power side, uh, people, uh, customers want lower and lower power especially uh, in applications like autonomous cars um, where uh, you know you have a battery battery that's dedicated to especially in an electric car you want to use the battery um, to uh, get mileage out of the car you don't you don't want your processors to hog all the uh, battery juice uh, in case of robots for example autonomous robots power becomes very critical as well because of uh, various issues Heat dissipation is one of them, battery life on the robot itself, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, the power is declining. Uh, the AI processor 
AI compute uh, that's needed by the AI processor is also increasing uh, very rapidly. And then, of course, cost-wise, uh, there's an elasticity also, right? As, as more models proliferate, more applications use this, the customers want lower and lower cost. So these are the trends that we're seeing. And amongst all this, the most important piece, and I haven't mentioned this, is the software stack. Because silicon by itself is no good for a customer. You have to build a phenomenal software stack so that any customer, be it in security, smart city space, retail space, uh, robotics, or um, autonomous driving, they have their own models, AI models, that they want to run on your chip. You want to be able to have a very versatile, very flexible software stack to be able to take those models and run them on your chip. And that's, that's one of our unique selling propositions is that we uh, build phenomenal software in addition to uh, so, uh, hardware, which is silicon, that is highly performant and low power. Hmm. Uh, so on, on the point of uh, software development, uh, you have an, a center in India as well. Uh, so give us a sense of uh, the work that you do in India and the work uh, that you do in Silicon Valley. Yes, um, for uh, various reasons, uh, when we started uh, uh, ramping our team, we made a decision that all of our engineering, both silicon engineering and software engineering, is going to be in Hyderabad, the entire engineering effort. In the Valley, like you rightly pointed out, uh, the company was founded there. We are in Los Altos in Silicon Valley. The founders are there. I am there. Uh, and our business team is there as well. But other than that, all the engineering, including customer support for the greatest great degree, is done out of Hyderabad, India. And couple of reasons. Firstly, uh, from a cost standpoint, it made a lot of sense for us to uh, center the development here. Secondly, from a uh, management standpoint, where we are able to have all the uh, engineering resources uh, under one roof, that made a lot of sense because the communication is easier, the management is easier. But more importantly, we also, um, the talent that we uh, brought in to the company it was, uh, uh, it was all uh, individuals that knew each other in the past. They had worked with each other in the past. And they had very specific skills that were attractive and were directly relevant to what we are developing, namely compilers, namely uh, CPU architectures that were flexible. Uh, and these team members, uh, they had all worked with each other in the, in the past. So bringing them all together, having them under one roof, and manage, managing the development uh, at one center, which is in Hyderabad, India, sort of made sense. And uh, having the business end of things, the technology of end, end of things being driven out of Valley, it, uh, it became uh, you know, very, very easy for us. And it's actually a uh, very nice example uh, where, of a very successful uh, cross-border relationship between the parent that's in uh, Silicon Valley and uh, the team that's here in India, where the chip is first run functional, the software is uh, uh, working out of the box, and the customers are having a phenomenal experience. So that uh, that relationship is is a, is a shining example, right, uh, for uh, other companies that are looking to emulate uh, this model. Mm. I mean, as you know, uh, India has uh, uh, nothing to show for in terms of the foundries itself but uh, on the software development side and uh, uh, design and so on uh, what are the most uh, important uh, 
developments or advances that you have seen in the way the semiconductor ecosystem in India is developing? Yes. Uh, I mean, as we speak, uh, to, the, to your point, as we speak about foundries and manufacturing, there's a big push by the government to bring foundries to India. I'm very heartened uh, by that effort because it'll make, a, make for a nice symbiotic relationship between uh, companies that are designing chips and companies that are manufacturing chips if they're housed in one uh, geographic uh, location. I think there's a, a lot of benefit to, benefit to be had um, with such, a, uh, such an arrangement. So having said that, uh, the big trend here is that design of chips, uh, although it's hardware, it's very much like software. It's, it has become very much like software and becoming more and more so. The, the chips are designed in a high level language. Uh, it's a lot of programming to build the chips uh, in, uh, in a high level uh, chip design language and the verification. Uh, so once you build the design, you have to verify that it's all correct. That's also a lot of software. Uh, and uh, then you go through the backend and then you take the chip to a foundry, the database of the chip to the foundry. So uh, a lot of the chip design is much like software, I, I would say. Uh, the only delta between chip design and software is that uh, the uh, ability to tolerate any bugs or any issues is very, it has to be very minimal in a chip because once you go to the foundry, it's a very expensive process, as you know, to uh, manufacture a chip. To get the masks, it costs millions of dollars. So you don't want to make any mistakes. So the verification part of it has to be very, very rigorous. And like I mentioned, the verification is very software intensive and even the chip design, the high level chip design, taking the architecture and making the actual chip, that, that's also a, a software-like process. So increasingly, uh, there's a convergence in uh, the thought process and the, in terms of software development and chip development. And India has done uh, extremely well over the decades in terms of uh, churning out software talent. And uh, we are seeing that the same talent or the same thought process and the same talent can be uh, used and the processes replicated to make uh, chip design as well. And we are not by any means the first, uh, uh, first company to be designing chips in India. Other majors, uh, Intel, TI, and others included have done chips ground up. The unique distinction we have here, by the way, is that it probably is the first AI chip that was designed ground up in India. Mm. Uh, more specific uh, to uh, Deep Vision, uh, you recently announced uh, a new funding round of uh, $35 million, uh, if I'm right, uh, and uh, you've won the backing of uh, Tiger Global. Uh, tell us a bit about uh, your uh, most important investors and uh, uh, how will you use the new funding? Absolutely. So um, our investor base, uh, of course, has Tiger Global. Uh, we have Western Digital Capital. Uh, Western Digital is one of the big storage technology companies. Uh, they develop hard disk drives and substrate drives. Uh, they're a leader in this uh, space. Uh, we have Silicon Motion, which is a leader in storage controllers uh, based in Taiwan and in US. Uh, they have a big US presence as well. And then we also have Xfinity Ventures, which is local to uh, Bangalore in India and is making uh, deep tech investments uh, across the board in India. So these are our big uh, investors. Uh, Tiger is the new uh, investor in Series B. And then the other three that I mentioned, uh, Western Digital, Silicon Motion, and um, Xfinity, they were with us at Series A and they participated again in, in Series B. 
So uh, Tiger Global, as you know, is a very famous name. They're um, making big bets in AI. And uh, one of the areas that they recently took an interest in is AI semiconductors um, and semiconductor investments. We are, in fact, the second AI semiconductor investment. The first one is a company called Grok. Uh, it's also based in US in, in the Valley. They're developing uh, products, AI silicon products for the data center. Unlike us, our products go into the edge, into the endpoints and um, gateway devices and edge servers. Their uh, products go into data center class uh, servers. They're much larger chips and uh, they can take massive streams of data and process them. They're much, much bigger processors. So one of the trends that uh, uh, that uh, Tiger Global is uh, right, uh, expecting to ride this wave is AI and semiconductors. So they saw that we are a leader in the edge AI space. They uh, chose to bet on us uh, by leading the Series B uh, round, the 35 million Series B round. And they made a substantial investment as uh, part of this round. Now coming to the use of the funds, the proceeds, uh, the, there are two <clears throat> areas that we're gonna deploy these funds uh, on. One is that we are looking at ramping our sales and marketing efforts. Uh, till date, our sales and marketing efforts have been a bit low-key. We wanted to win Lighthouse customers. We did that. We are ramping uh, product and volume. And we, want to, we are actually looking to take that success now with the Lighthouse customers and replicate it and scale scale it across the board with a number of other uh, customers. So one activity is to put the pedal to the metal and ramp sales at sales and marketing in a big way. And we are seeing a lot of inbound interest as well to, um, uh, from customers for our product. And then the second area is to uh, enhance R&D and develop the next generation processor. So as you, as you know, and as we discussed earlier, this is a capital intensive endeavor and we need uh, significant capital to develop our next generation processor and we expect that to be five times five times the performance of our gen one so that's uh, the second area where we are looking to deploy capital so these are the two uh, big uses of uh, cap capital one is uh, basically ramp sales and marketing get more customers ramp revenue uh, two is uh, develop our next generation r2 class processor which is uh, five times the performance um, at a very low power and low cost. Excellent. Uh, truly interesting uh, conversation, Ravi. Uh, great to know about uh, your work. Uh, in the interest of time, uh, we have to stop this conversation here. And I definitely hope to keep the conversation going. Thank you, Hari. It's been, a, it's been my, my pleasure as well to speak with you. And I uh, look forward to being back and uh, speaking to you more. That was Ravi Anavajala. That's it for this briefing. You can find all our podcasts on ForbesIndia.com and on your favorite podcast apps. I'm Hari Arakali. Thank you for listening.